Your country needs you, Logan. I'm Canadian. Welcome to the 13 Days of X-Men Monkey Off My Backlog second annual holiday limited series. I'm your host, Tessa, and with me is the mouth to my murk, Sam. Does that mean you don't want me to talk? Are you trying to, like, metaphorically sew my mouth shut? No, I think it means I like you better when your mouth isn't shut. And we retcon this movie. Last year, because movie marathons are a holiday tradition for us, we watched nine Fast and Furious movies and released nine podcast episodes over nine days. This time, we're raising the stakes by watching the 13 movies in the Fox X-Men series. This is episode four, 2009's X-Men Origins, Wolverine. Colon. The Wolverine-ing. Before we get into the film, though, Sam, we haven't had a chance to talk about what you're looking forward to this holiday season yet. So Sam, what are you looking forward to this holiday season? Naps. Naps. Cookies. Naps. Movies. Drinks. Did I mention naps? Got any special holiday puzzles lined up? I know what we're not going to do. We're not going to try the 3,000-piece Star Trek puzzle again. That was that was a very ambitious thing we thought we were going to do, and it didn't work out. And do you know how many pieces are in a 3,000-piece puzzle? I know the answer to that is 3,000, but do you in your heart know how many 3,000 is? Like That's like three 1,000-piece puzzles. But somehow it's like 16,000-piece puzzles, you see. It's bigger on the outside. I mean, that box is also pretty big. We managed to get all the edges done, and it almost didn't fit on the table. We ran out of space. The final frontier. Is this a episode of Sam Watches Star Trek? Is that what this has become? Is it a podcast within a podcast? Wait, podcast within a spinoff podcast. So we're going to talk about X-Men Origins Wolverine, which I misspelled. X-Men Wolverine Origins. I'm not going to lie. I get the title of this film confused a lot. There are three words, and I know X-Men comes first, but I'm never certain of the order of the other two. Origin, X-Men, Wolverine. Wolverine, X-Men, Origins. Oh, that one almost works. That that one actually works. That one almost works. that's the thing. X-Men, Origins, Wolverine is inspired by Weapon X and Frank Miller and Chris Claremont's Wolverine series. The film opens in 1845 with a young James Howlett, who we later learn is Logan, murdering his father accidentally and running away with his half-brother Victor Creed, a.k.a. Sabretooth. You didn't know they were half-brothers, did you? Ray Donovan is Sabretooth! Throughout the years, the brothers stick together until Victor's violence and William Stryker's Team X initiative drive Logan away. Six years later, Logan's peaceful life with Kayla Silverfox in rural Canada is disrupted when Victor reappears, murdering Kayla and some of Logan's former Team X mates. Logan wants revenge, and Stryker offers to make him indestructible via the adamantium infusion that gives him those iconic claws. However, Logan very quickly realizes that Stryker is in league with Victor, in the most obvious twist of all time, and is using Logan to create the ultimate mutant hunter. Stuff gets real wild after that, but suffice it to say, everybody gets bleeped over. 
This film was directed by Gavin Hood, so this continues our line of changing directors as we change films. Gavin Hood is best known for Sotsi and Ender's Game. I have not seen Sotsi, and I will not talk about Ender's Game. Sam, what are your first thoughts about this movie? Okay, before we do that, though, I just want to ask, because you mentioned Ender's Game, and Harrison Ford is in Ender's Game, isn't that right? That is correct. So, if Harrison Ford played an X-Man, an X-Person, I'll let you have historical Harrison Ford, too. It doesn't have to be old man Ford. What mutant would Harrison Ford be best equipped to play? Honestly, I'm going to have to say Wolverine. Yep. I think that's right, actually. That is the objectively correct answer, which allows us to slot in Mark Hamill as Cyclops. Yeah, eh, it works up well. I mean, eh, I don't know. But speaking of DC Comics, Joker. Yes. Hamill. Yes. Okay. I got it. All right. I gotcha. It was a segue. I get it, everybody. She gets it. Anyway, speaking of DC Comics, Weapon X. Project X, don't care if they live or die. Anybody? Anybody? Bueller? I mean, like, down to, like, the sharpshooter. You actually asked me a question. First thoughts of this movie. They really wanted this to work, didn't they? They really wanted to do, like, a series of origin movies, and, like, the next one would have been Cyclops Origins. Because we see... Well, no, we see Cyclops. Like, they're clearly, like, you know, like, implanting them. You know, like, like seeding the next one within the next one. So, you know, Cyclops would have clearly been next because we do get him in this movie. Or maybe we get X-Men Origins Gambit. Would that be a real movie? I don't think that'd be a real movie. Justice for Taylor Kitsch, guys. You gotta give him a movie. You gotta give him True Detective this movie. Does anybody truly deserve that? I don't think so. This is not a good movie. Probably could have been, but it's a bad movie. So we're left having this conversation instead of talking about an actual film in the franchise that has a plot that hangs together, doesn't like take one of your best characters and just throws them in the trash, which I guess we have been doing the whole series. There's just a lot of bad things to say about this movie, which is disappointing. It was not very far from a good movie. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about that more as we talk about individual plot points. But upon rewatch, I was actually impressed at how much I liked the first half of this movie compared to when I watched it the first time and how much I disliked the second half of this movie. I think that there actually is a clear moment when this movie goes off the rails. So I'll have to see if you agree with me. But there are really two different plots going on here, right? There's the relationship between Sabretooth and Wolverine, the, the brothers throughout the, the ages relationship. And then there's the striker and the whole military complex Weapon X storyline. They are related to each other quite closely, but they are sort of the two threads running through this. So which one would you like to tackle first, Sabretooth and Wolverine or Stryker? I mean, so we've already seen the Stryker story in X2, so it's not very interesting. The only wrinkle that is interesting are the Team X characters that we get to see. Of course, you know, you've got Deadpool. So handled correctly, that would completely justify that entire storyline. But other than that, it's pretty boring. So I guess there, start there. 
Okay, yeah, we could start with Team X. So Team X is introduced to us at the beginning of the film as this like elite mutant force that Stryker has put together. And he invites Wolverine and Sabretooth to be part of it. So we get Wade Wilson, like you said, Deadpool, who's played by Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds was born to play this role. I mean, I think he's quite great in this role for the first scene that we see him in. Anybody who thinks a good use of Ryan Reynolds is to not let him talk. Again, it's super disappointing he isn't here talking right now, but that just seems terrible. But when he was running his mouth at the beginning, that was enjoyable. That's and then Wade we Wilson. Right. And so we had that scene with the, you know, his his power, I guess, is that he can spin his sword super fast, which, you know, is also eh, but it's interesting. It 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 could have been good. I don't hate Will I Am in this movie. Uh, Dominic Monaghan. I mean, is Dominic Monaghan? And so, you know, could have been could have been good. I feel like the problem with this is we just tried to get through it too quickly so we could get back to the Sabretooth thing, who's also on the team, and so that we could get to the final act. Like, this is the thing we had to do to get to the other things. And when your most interesting thing is the thing that you do so you can get to the other thing, which is not as interesting, that's what we call bad screenwriting. Yeah, so Will I Am plays Wraith, who is a mutant that has Nightcrawler-like powers, which is the only reason Will I Am agreed to be part of this is because he really wanted to play a teleporter. We also get Agent Zero, played by Daniel Henney, who I guess is a sharpshooter. I'm not familiar with Agent Zero from the comics. Marvel Deadshot. Marvel Deadshot seems to be the lead-in here. And then, of course, we get one of my least favorite characters in all of Marvel comics, adaptations, Fred Dukes a.k.a. The Blob, played by Kevin Durand. Watching this again, I was ready for them to retire Fred Dukes when they made this movie, and it certainly does not age very well. That scene in the gym, I just don't think... uh, The Blob is just... Fred Dukes just needs to go away. We don't need to write any more stories about him. He doesn't need to be part of anything. That's my opinion. Wait a minute. Hold on. So you don't like the Blob character, is that right? It's so fatphobic. Well, and at least in the comics, they give the explanation that that's just his mutant powers, that he's like blobbish, which is, again, fat phobic, but it kind of makes sense. Here, he's not even fat at the beginning. Like, he gets fat over the course of the movie. So there's not even really an explanation of his mutant power, what he was doing on team. Like, it just, it just seems like a setup to a fat joke to me. He, he serves no other purpose in this film except for that. You could definitely see it that way, or you could see it as it didn't occur to them to explain how his powers work because they did a terrible job writing this movie. I actually didn't write down Dominic Monaghan's character's name because he's not a character from the comics. I think it's Bradley. I don't know. He turns stuff on and off with his mind, electronics. He controls electronics with his mind. I don't know. He's Dominic Monaghan. He's Mary. He's Charlie. Like. Uh, you know, I can't two things now. <laughs> I can't, you know, I, I just can't. I love that he was in this, but that's who he is. Okay, so Team X, that was our rundown on Team X. I didn't find this lineup super impressive, to be honest with you. This really felt like they were grabbing characters, with the exception of Deadpool. It felt like they were grabbing random characters that they didn't want to do other movies for because they knew they were going to kill off most of them. Right. And as we talked about yesterday, 
for The Last Stand, there was an argument over which character could be used in which movie. There was not supposed to be any crossover, so you can't grab any. And of course, The Last Stand has like a, a veritable smorgasbord of characters, none of whom are available for this movie. So, you know, of course, Deadpool and, you know, Gambit, who we'll talk about later, are the two big names. And so, yeah, I mean, these aren't impressive because they spent all their mutants on Last Stand. This reminds me of, uh, this reminds me of Smallville and Arrow. You can't have Bruce Wayne. You can't have Batman. You can have literally anybody else except Bruce Wayne and Batman. Okay, well, also you can't have these characters, but you really can't have Bruce Wayne and Batman. And it's just, and the problem with that is for people who say out of one side of their mouth that you can't confuse the theater goer. If they see this character in this movie or this character in this movie, they'll get confused and it won't make sense. That's a real hot take to make when out of the other side of your mouth, you're saying, oh, we don't care if this movie makes sense or has continuity. That's weird. Fox, the greatest studio that isn't anymore, that isn't all the other studios that isn't anymore. Going off the first scene, like I said, I really loved that first scene with Deadpool, with Ryan Reynolds as Wade Wilson. This could have been a really good jumping off point for a Deadpool movie. Like they didn't have to bring him back in at the end they could have just had him in this one scene just introduced us to the character and then like had him be in his own movie they didn't have to make him weapon x they didn't have to sew his mouth shut oh my god why would you sew deadpool's mouth shut that is literally his most defining characteristic they didn't have to give him all these weird powers Ugh, i really disliked what they did with this character as did many people so that's not a particularly hot take so there could have been later in the movie, if you only saw Deadpool in that one scene, there could be a spot later in the movie, you know, in the final fight where Wolverine says, where's that Wade guy? I wish he was here right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then if you really wanted to go with it, you could do like a freeze frame. I'm not in this movie anymore. Presses play and goes on, right? You could have yeah. your whole Deadpool breaking the fourth wall. Again, all ideas that are better than what we got. Okay. The other thing that we get in this movie is, of course, some recasts some younger recasts of characters that we had seen in the first trilogy. So we get, for an example, William Stryker being played by Danny Houston and Cyclops being played by Tim Pocock and Sabretooth being played by Leif Schreiber. What did you think of the recasts? I don't care about Cyclops. You needed a young kid to play that role. That's fine. I don't care about Stryker. I was thinking about this earlier. Either anyone can play Cyclops or only a certain select few people can actually make that character have nuance. That's all. I also don't care about the Striker recast because I don't care about Striker. Simple. I do really like the Leave Schreiber recast. The first incarnation of Sabretooth in the first X-Men movie is eh. Which would have fit in with the whole, you know, idiom of this movie. But instead, we actually get a good Sabretooth. And that's sad because, again, not used well. Again, something else you could have done instead of what you did in this movie is we could have spent more time in that montage. It's, it's just a montage of all the wars, and you see Sabretooth becoming more and more 
inhumane, less empathy, doesn't care about what he's doing. You see him turn bad, and they don't really care about the moral implications of that. They just care about getting him to be evil. Better way to do that would be give us an entire first act of that. Get rid of all the stuff you don't need and replace it with good stuff. Leave Schreiber can handle it. I don't know if you know this, but Ray Donovan is a good actor. I don't know how he managed to make Sabretooth like a pretty cool character. I mean, Sabretooth literally has claws and fangs and like jumps around on all four legs or all four limbs. Like appendages. All four appendages. Which, I mean, the scene at the end where they're, like, running towards Weapon X to kill him and <laughs> Sabretooth is bounding towards him in that, like, classic Sabretooth gait, it would have been faster to run. I know that's, like, his signature thing would have been faster to run. But, yeah, I agree with you. Leif Schreiber could have made us care about this character, but I don't know if we ever spend enough time with him to care about him or really his relationship with Logan. I think they set us up for a really interesting story about how two long-lived immortal brothers, half-brothers, would age over the years. How one of them might become more empathetic and the other one might become less empathetic. But they don't, they don't land it because they have too many other things that they're wanting to talk about. What about the relationship between Wolverine Logan and Kayla Silverfox, who's played by Lynn Collins, who, as far as I know, is not an indigenous person? This was 2009. I wish it was better. Honestly, until just then, I was like, wait, who are you? No, she's a character at the end. Oh, that's right. She's in the whole movie. I actually <laughs> forgot. So the, the reveal, of course, that she is a mutant and she has been conning Logan this whole time, conning her with her love touch, but the love... But it doesn't work on Sabretooth? But it was real love. So that's okay. What? I just can't care about the stakes in this film. They want us to, and we should, because that's not a terrible thing. It's like this part of the movie is a born movie, right? That's what I was thinking. Yeah, well, it happens from time to time with us. But yeah, this feels like a born movie. There's like five different movies in this. There was the Suicide Squad movie. There's the Bourne movie. There's whatever we were doing at the beginning, like Outlander situation. The Outlander situation. That'd be a good (laughs) band. That's the indie band name, right? Jamie's Kilt is the name of the album. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, yeah, that's, that's how I feel about that character. I mean, like you said, not indigenous, but I didn't hate her for what it's worth. It's a rare movie that fridges the same character twice in the movie. I mean, there's that. Because we have her apparent death in the beginning and then her real death at the end. Just remember, guys, when you thaw the meat out to cook it, the worst thing you can do is refreeze. Never refreeze your meat that you put in the freezer or your character from your movie. Turns out, exactly the same. Just don't do it. One of the reasons that you shouldn't do it, of course, is that you get frost. This is how you get frost. <laughs> Except for it's not frost. Her name is Emma, and I just found this out. She's actually not supposed to be Emma Frost, even though her name is Emma, and she turns into a diamond. So is she like Emma really cold dew? Is she know. Is she Emma freezer burn? I don't, 
I don't know. Like, this movie just doesn't understand what it this is. This movie is I don't know. This this movie wanted to tease Emma Frost, but instead gave us Not Frost, played by Tanya Tozy. She turns into a diamond, but she doesn't have telepathy. Like, it is very, very strange. But she's the reason that Kayla, of course, betrays Wolverine in order to get him to agree to the adamantium surgery. I said at the beginning of this that there is a moment in the movie where it goes from being a this is promising to, nope, they don't know what they're doing. I'd like you to guess what moment that is. Is it the part where we get like all CGI all the time? No, although that does become more and more prevalent as we move towards the end of the film. Then I don't know. I don't remember the film well enough to remember what it was because that's how memorable this film is. To me, it was the moment that we did the adamantium surgery. I actually think there's a major plot hole in the middle of this, and it comes from what we were talking about with both Last Stand and with X2, production things. We know that we have to do the X2 storyline. We know that Stryker has to give Logan his adamantium. We know that he has to be part of the Weapon X project, which they try to be like, it's Weapon 10. It's the numeral for 10. No, it's not. You named your team Team X. Get over it. The problem that we have here is that we've built this thing where it's a con, right? They're conning Wolverine into agreeing to the surgery because they know that they can't restrain him or anesthetize him. He has to agree to it willingly. So they do this thing where Sabretooth pretends to kill Kayla. They drug her so she's dead. It doesn't actually make sense because if she had a power of persuasion, she could have just persuaded him she was dead. Whatever. Anyway, the problem here is. Once Stryker gives him the adamantium, Wolverine like breaks loose and runs out into the woods and immediately knows that Stryker has betrayed him, even though he still doesn't know that Sabretooth is in league with him and he still doesn't know that Stryker was planning on killing him. Like, it just seems like this is a huge waste to put all the adamantium into Logan and then when he wakes up to not even have a conversation with him. They don't even tell him what the surgery entails before he straps him down. If I was Logan, I would have at least asked. It doesn't make sense that this is a revenge storyline. It would have made way more sense if this was more of a military storyline. If they tried to explore Logan's background as a veteran and as someone who might agree to this surgery for other reasons than revenge. And then, of course, after that, there's no story. It's literally just a bunch of CGI explosions, pretty much, from that point onwards in this particular story. I mean, it's bad at the end of this film. It is really bad. How could you spend so much money on a movie and get this movie? That's right, you're Fox. I know the answer to that. I mean, the scene where they reveal that Kayla was working with Stryker the whole time, everybody's in front of a green screen. I, I, the only thing I can think of is that this was a reshoot and they couldn't get them all in the same place. Let's talk about Gambit. Yay! The other character that got the dirty end of the stick in this one. The dirty end of the <laughs> stick. Sure. Is that a... I don't know. I feel like that's... So there's a sharp end and there's a dirty end. There's no good end of this particular stick. It was like in the ground. There's no good end to this stick. Gambit is one of my favorite characters in the comics and in the animated show. And I really feel like... uh, You mentioned Taylor Kitsch. Tell us about your experience with Taylor Kitsch and why you think he could have done a good job with this role. And of course, we'll get way more into this in a lot more detail during Tessa Watches Friday Night Lights. Suffice it to say for now, I'm very attached to the people from that show. I want nothing but good things for them. 
I do think, though, that Friday Night Lights alum might be cursed. I mean, because Adrian Palicki got Wonder Woman taken away from her. Taylor Kitsch had this happen. I mean, I guess Connie Britton did okay in the Wonder Woman movie. I guess her character was served okay. I like Taylor Kitsch. I think he... I would have been happy with him in this role. I would have been happy seeing him continue in this role. Yeah, he's doing Gambit by way of East Texas. You know, it's the same accent that he did for Friday Night Lights with just an inflection of Creole here and there. It's not good. I mean, maybe if you actually used your budget for good things, you could have him work with a dialect coach, but I guess you had other priorities. You know, I just really enjoy him. Why does he show up at the end of this movie? Like, he drops Wolverine off. The whole point of Gambit being in this movie is a plot device. So Wolverine can find the Three Mile Island place where Stryker has all of these prisoners and is doing all these experiments. So Gambit drops him off because he's the only person to have ever broken out of this prison, but then comes back later? Like, there's no motivation for this character at all. Well, you saw Star Wars. You saw what Han Solo did, right? So it's that. It's not even there. I know. But you've seen a movie. Like, you know how this works. He couldn't stay away. He felt like he had to do the right thing. And here's the thing about movie making. If you already know what the character's going to do and why, you don't actually have to tell us. Because we'll know too. And you can just make all kinds of assumptions. And we'll totally be okay with it. We won't be confused. We won't dislike it. It won't ruin a franchise. Just, we honestly don't need to see character development on the screen. We're smart people. We can figure out what you were trying to do. It's fine. Don't worry about it. More CGI. Do you remember in our Bond miniseries how Elise told us that Honey Trap scene from from Russia with Love is what they use to test all potential Bond actors? Like, they learn all they need to know about their portrayal of Bond from that scene? Yep. So I think that all potential Gambit actors need to be in a room with Anna Paquin, who is not playing Rogue, but playing Sookie from True Blood, which is closer to Rogue, as I have pointed out before, than her portrayal of Rogue. And they need to flirt together. And it needs to be the energy of she slaps him, kisses him, and then slaps him again. That is the energy that needs to be between those two characters, but it also needs to be the energy of Gambit who is a smooth-talking rogue thief-turned-hero. And of course, that's Taylor Kitsch's character on Friday Night Lights. He gets slapped and kissed and slapped on a weekly basis by multiple (laughs) characters. He is exactly what you just described. So this is another case of, like Rogue, not seeing on the screen what could have been, what could have happened with this particular actor. Again, Gambit sort of gets lost in this movie, and he doesn't even really feel like Gambit at all. Two more things before I go over the rest of the characters, which there are not many we haven't talked about. Number one, what did you think about the scene at the end? Like you said, maybe it was supposed to set up another Origins movie, but we see Scott and Emma, but not Emma, very clear, not Emma, escape from Stryker's prison, and... Because Scott is like, we have to go this way. This is the way we get out. And it turns out that the person who's communicating with him telepathically is a de-aged Patrick Stewart as Professor X who shows up with a helicopter not to free them with a force, but to help them escape because Wolverine set them free. Holy de-aging, Batman. 
You know in the Marvel movies, when they do a thing at the end, and it pays off in another movie later? You should really do that if you're going to do something like this. So yeah, I don't care about this either because it goes nowhere. It might be worth mentioning at this point that most of this movie is retconned or just never spoken about again in future movies. In fact, I think the only thing that we really get is the memory loss aspect of it. So we finally get to know what his memory loss was all about. Stryker shot him with an adamantium bullet, which he's told won't actually kill Logan, but will erase his memory. I'm not sure what the point of that was. Was he just so angry at Logan for destroying Weapon X that he wanted to destroy his memories, hurt him back? It just doesn't seem like what does that accomplish exactly? Another Fox Hollywood secret is that if you have a cool prop, you can write 20% less character and plot. It's It's a fun fact. It's an established formula. It's time for astonishing facts. You know this because you pay attention to the credits, but our listeners may not be aware that the script for this movie was originally written by David Benioff. That's right, Benioff of Benioff and Wise fame. So if you rewind back and listen to the thing that I was saying about character development and plot, let's just go back to that for a second. You know the whole thing at the end of Game of Thrones where the character who actually becomes the king has had oh, I don't know, zero plot development for multiple seasons, and then, like, we just get told here's what happened, but not very well? Does that sound familiar? Does that sound exactly like what happened in this movie? It is, because this guy wrote it. And so, the obvious solution here is stop letting this person near your IP. Dude. Yeah, David Benioff is definitely the textbook definition of failing upwards. The script was revised by Skip Woods. Both of them originally wanted this film to be rated R. How does that make you feel if there'd been a rated R version of this film? 100% more Jackman butt. Well, considering we do get that movie eventually, I they would have ruined it. They would have ruined it. We would have never gotten Logan. And they would have ruined it. In conclusion, they would have ruined it. So I'm really glad. <laughs> that that didn't happen. And by the way, going back to the failing up thing, isn't X-Men, at least behind the camera, a tradition of failing upward? I mean, like, The Last Stand was directed by Brett Ratner, who, like, fell all the way upward, but somehow over the top of people of color while he was doing it, which is a real feat. Brian Singer? I mean, just, like, this franchise, why are we doing this? Why are we, Okay, I'm going to stop talking now. Tell us how you really feel. I hate it! <laughs> Hugh Jackman collaborated on the script. He was ultimately disappointed by the film because he felt like it didn't give Wolverine as much interiority as he wanted this film to do. He felt that a later film, The Wolverine, which we're going to talk about soon, did a much better job. So what you're saying is he was disappointed in the film because he has a basic understanding of film. Yeah, that tracks. Well, it's funny that you talk about behind the camera. They originally wanted Zack Snyder to direct this film. Singer and Ratner were both interested. I find it funny that that's what it says. But they didn't want them to come back. They wanted Zack Snyder. But Zack Snyder turned it down because he was filming Watchmen. So this movie could have been directed by Zack Snyder, too. Why do we keep giving him comic book properties? 
It's like that's all he does anymore. Would this movie have been any worse? I mean, I guess... It would have been prettier. X-Men Origins Wolverine, the three and a half hour super cut. This time we introduce mutants from that you've never heard of and we're going to build their backstories for an hour. We don't see Logan during the entire fourth act because we have five acts now. You know, I've never gotten all the way through the Watchmen movie, right? So, you know, maybe that means somebody good would have adapted it the first time. So that would be cool. Like, if this was going to be a bad movie, we could have at least attached somebody else to it who would have done less harm. Maybe he doesn't get the DC Extended Universe because they're like, nah, bro, not after what you did to Wolverine. Maybe that's all better. This is like a total Elseworlds situation where... X-Men Origins, The Wolverine, just does us all a solid because we get so many other movies not directed by Zack Snyder, or he actually makes a good version of this movie. Either way, we win. The CGI probably would have been better. There are different credit scenes, film to film, and I forgot about this because we watched the credit scene, and I was thinking in the back of my mind, I think there was a different credit scene when I saw this in the theater. It's true. The after credit scenes are different from print to print of this film. In one after credit scene, Wolverine is drinking in a bar in Japan. The bartender asks him if he's drinking to forget, and he says that he is drinking to remember. And then in the other end credit scene, which we saw, which was on our particular copy, Weapon X Deadpool is reaching, trying to reach for his own severed head in the rubble. Do you remember what, what end credit scene you saw originally? I've definitely seen the in the bar scene. When you mentioned it, I remembered it, although I have heard tell of the third one where they run in and communism is the red herring and the FBI agent is going to go home and sleep with his wife. I do remember that one as well. It's a really important ending, actually. It completely changes your opinion on the film. In one shot on Three Mile Island, you can see Jason Stryker frozen in ice. You can tell because he's got the blue eye and the green eye, so that's a callback to X2. Here's some fun casting stuff. Brian Cox wanted to reprise the role of Stryker because he liked that character so much, and he thought they could de-age him with computer technology, but they decided to do that in only one scene with Patrick Stewart and cast the younger Danny Houston. Michelle Monaghan was offered Kayla Silverfox, but turned it down to scheduling conflicts despite wanting to work with Jackman. She's also not indigenous. One of the most funny and also disgusting pieces of casting twists, David Harbour auditioned for The Blob, but was turned down because he was too fat. Because Gavin Hood was super fat phobic and was worried for his health. So he was fine with a thin actor wearing a fat suit to play The Blob, but he wasn't okay with David Harbour who was fat at the time, playing a fat character. This movie is bad. And now it's time for Uncanny Stats with Sam. So you might remember The Last Stand had a budget of $210 million. This one was definitely the younger sibling with a $150 million budget. However, The Last Stand made $102 million with its extra fourth day. But the first weekend in May, of course, not known for being a holiday weekend, in 2009, this movie made $85 million. So arguably, it had the better opening, despite some concerns about a leaked work print of the film possibly driving down profit. 
So, of course, the total box office, which Fox blames on this leak, is $373 million compared to the $459 for The Last Stand. But if you think about the fact that it made back its budget twice over in profit, that's not terrible. Unlike the movie, which is terrible. Of course, opening weekend, it led the box office because it had just some staggering competition. At number two, we had the romantic comedy starring I, Matthew McConaughey and Jennifer Garner. Was that right? I literally just looked it up and I've forgotten. Ghost of Girlfriends Past Obsessed, which is like a thriller with uh, Ali Larder, Idris Elba, Beyonce. Perhaps you've heard of it. I don't know. Number four was 17 again with Zephron. Tessa says she's seen that movie. Matthew Perry's in that movie. Matthew Perry's. Could I be any less interested in that movie? (laughs) And finally, at number five, we have the Oscar Beatty character work movie, The Soloist, starring Electro and Iron Man. That's right. Jamie Foxx and Robert Downey Jr. This has been Uncanny Stats. And now for our all new, all different segment in which Tessa recommends an X-Men thing that's probably better than this movie. Three out of those five movies have been lost to time. I just I just want to throw that out there. I recommend that if you want something that's better than this, read the Weapon X story arc, which this film is partially based off of. It's from the Marvel Comics Presents series, issue number 72 to 84. It's actually told more in the tone and genre of a slasher, where Logan and several other characters are on this island, and they're all sort of trying to survive, and they're all trying to figure out what's going on. It's actually really, really cool. Much, much better than this. Uh, I do have one last question for you, though, Sam. Is this movie better or worse than The Last Stand, which I think we agreed was the worst movie we had seen so far? I was just about to ask you, is this the worst movie of the franchise so far? Wow, it's like we uh, talk or something. The answer is yes. Of course, the answer is yes, right? Yeah, I, I don't know. They're both really bad. But I think that this one has to be the worst because at least the other one had established characters that we sort of understood and that were doing the best that they could in those situations. This one has established characters that are actively being flushed down the toilet. I think the real question here is, is this the worst movie out of the 13 we're going to look at? Absolutely not. Okay. For more on that, keep listening. All right. It's time to forget everything that happened in this film. Fox sure did. So join us tomorrow for the next installment of the 13 Days of X-Men, when we'll be talking about X-Men First Class with Colby. Yay! Yeah! We're going to go from a terrible movie to a pretty good movie. Watch along with us. Tweet at us. Email us. Let us know all your miraculous mutant thoughts. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at MonkeyBacklog. Email us at MonkeyOffMyBacklog at gmail.com and visit our website, MonkeyOffMyBacklog.com. You can find me on Twitter at Suela Tessa. Suela is spelled S-W-E-H-L-A. And you can find Sam on Twitter at Sam underscore Morris 9. Our theme song is Jingle Bells by Scott Holmes and can be found on scottholmesmusic.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Follow us on Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, 
or wherever you listen to podcasts. Happy holidays, and get that monkey off your back, bub.